0: The following sermon was preached on September 17, 2021 at Antioch Presbyterian Church, a mission work of Calvary Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Woodruff, South Carolina. Dr. Joseph A. Piper, Jr. preached this sermon entitled The Church's Confidence on Psalm 138 for the occasion of Pastor Zachary Groff's ordination and installation. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit antiochpca.com or contact us at info at antiochpca.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. Well as we gather tonight, all of us are aware that we live in very dark, desperate times. Western culture, particularly our own country, is in a tailspin of death and destruction, with murder and sexual perversions and immorality. With oppression from governments and many levels. We are in difficult times. And as we're in difficult times, we also recognize that we're in a day when the church is very weak. Many churches have voluntarily stayed shut down because people voluntarily are staying at home. They're full of liberalism and unbelief. And even in the more orthodox and conservative churches, the church is weak. Uh, filled with idolatrous worship, Sabbath breaking, and a new social gospel. Now, we see these dark clouds on the horizon. It seems that every day they're growing closer and darker. And it's in this context that we meet tonight under Christ's authority to ordain a man to the gospel ministry. What is your attitude tonight? as we come here as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or better yet, what expectations do you have? Are you depressed? Are you bourbon? Do you see at this day no future for the church or for the gospel ministry, only misery and decline? Well, I want to encourage you tonight to take the long view. To take the view of Scripture. To take the view that Christ is on a throne accomplishing wonderful purposes. And we come to Psalm 138 to help us take this proper view uh, of our day when we gather as a church. It's a very unique psalm, introduced in a very unique section. It's eight psalms that David wrote. But they're not earlier in the Psalter with the Davidic Psalms. They're placed here at the end of the Psalter. Uh, They begin with this confident expression in 138. And then we have six psalms of petition for deliverance in God's work. And then it highlights in a great psalm of exaltation that introduces the last five psalms of praise and glory. Hallelujah. So why has the Holy Spirit led the editor of the Psalter editors to put these five psalms here? Well, if you look at what precedes Psalm 138, it's a psalm out of the exile. It was a psalm penned by inspiration of the Spirit when the church was out of the land, the temple was destroyed, the walls of the city were down, and they were desperate. Now you'll see why the psalmist put these Davidic psalms here to refocus the church's attention. Even there, in times that are much worse than our times, Dark times, desperate times, times that offered little hope of any future. And yet what the psalmist does in this psalm is he teaches us because Christ is exalted. The church, even in trial, worships God, knowing that he shall gather the nations into the church. Because Christ is exalted, even in difficult times. We confidently worship God, knowing he shall gather the church, the nations into the church. We consider three things. Verses 1 through 3, the church uh, worships with messianic hope. The next three verses, 4 to 6, the church proclaims the gospel with confidence. And then the last verses 7 and 8, the church endures based on the promises of God. Well, first, then we see that we are called to worship with messianic hope verses one through three. I will give you thanks with all my heart. I will sing praises to you before the gods. I will bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth or faithfulness. For you've magnified your word according to all your name on the day I called you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. Now, David begins here in in the first person. He is resolving with a holy resolve. He's exhorting himself. He's declaring his intention that he is going to gather in the presence of God with the entirety of his being, all of his heart, and worship God. This worship is marked particularly by thanksgiving. He says, I will give you thanks." He says, I will give thanks to your name. The name of God here is, in fact, all the ways by which he reveals himself. As the catechism says, it's his name, titles, attributes, word and works. And David is expressing this thanksgiving in songs of praise. And he's doing so in the corporate assembly. He's not content just to stay in his room and give thanks to God. Surely, he did that. But you'll see that he has gathered here. His longing is to be in the presence of Lord of God. He says, I bow down towards your holy temple. Now, at this point, the holy temple is the tabernacle with the Ark of the Covenant and the symbolic presence of God in the midst of his people. It was the place of corporate worship. You remember those songs of lament when David was cut off from the tabernacle. Uh, the great grief and mourning that he had because he could not participate publicly in the means of grace. But this is his resolve. This is his desire to come and give thanks to God and notice to do so before all the great ones. Before the gods. That's ambiguous. Before the great ones of the earth. The great ones in Israel or Judah. The great ones of the nations. Before the pretense gods. Before false gods. In other words, before demons and devils. In the presence of all great ones, David says, I am going to enter into the presence of God publicly. And there give thanks to God and proclaim His greatness. Now in the end of verse 2, you see the ground of this glorious resolution. For you have magnified your word according to all your name. It's a bit of an ambiguous statement. It's translated various ways. The ESV, you've exalted above all things your name and your word. The New King James, you've magnified your word above all your name. The New American Standard, I think, sits closest to what's being said here. You've magnified your word, and you take word here as promise. If you look in your, if you have an ESV in the footnote, you've magnified your promise according to all your name what David is saying is that behind all of this revelation of God, all wrapped up in the name of God his names, titles, attributes, word and works, is a one promise a singular promise and that was the promise made to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 when Nathan comes to him and God speaks to David, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your seed after you Who will come forth from you. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. I think we see that this is the promise in mind. We look at a parallel passage in Psalm 89. Written later. The first few verses. I will sing of the loving kindness. David's talking here about the loving kindness, the covenant, the faithful covenant love of God is behind this promise. I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever to all generations. I'll make known your faithfulness with my mouth. There's loving kindness and faithfulness. For I've said loving kindness will be built up forever in the heavens. You will establish your faithfulness. I've made a covenant with my chosen. I've sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. This is the magnification of the word of God. This is the great singular promise. Meant much more so to David than the fact that he would be anointed king. He'd one day be placed on the throne over all of the covenant people. The singular promise in his life. That which guided him in everything that he did as he sought to to serve the Lord. It's that then that gave him strength. He said, on the day I called, you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. The day he called was in the day of that revelation. He then claims that promise in 2 Samuel. Now, therefore, O Lord, God, the word that you've spoken concerning your servant and his house, confirm it forever. And do as you've spoken, that your name be magnified forever by saying, the Lord of hosts is God over Israel. And may the house of your servant David be established before you. For you... O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made a revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Now, O Lord God, you are a God and your words are truth. You see, that's reflected in our psalm. And you've promised this good thing to your servant. Now there may it please you to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever before you. For you, O oh Lord God, have spoken. And with your blessing, may the house of your servant be blessed forever. That is the bold prayer that David made in claiming the promise of God. And that's what made David bold. That's why he claims this promise. That's why the editor places it here. That's the prayers that flow out of this psalm are all based upon this great messianic hope. But think about Our day, as we're here tonight, we don't live under a messianic hope, do we? We live under a messianic reality. The Christ is enthroned. All that God promised to David in terms of the enthronement and the eternal rule of His Son has been fulfilled. We are living in the reality of that. And thus, our response should be the same. There should be a tumultuous worship that we offer to God, giving thanks to him for keeping all of his promises, for gathering his elect, for working in us as individuals and families and congregations. We should proclaim his name in worship before the mighty ones of the world. We stand in front of the devils and we proclaim that Christ is enthroned. We stand before the kings of the earth and we proclaim that Christ is enthroned. And we're bold then. We should be bold in our praying. David teaches us how to pray. You see that. He takes a promise of God and he demands it. Much what Daniel did when he read the promise of a returning to the land after seven years. Does he pack up a suitcase to go home? No, he prays. He pleads with God to keep that promise. That's what David does. That's what the Spirit is teaching you and me to do tonight as we think of all the promises in Scripture for us, but particularly tonight for the church, regardless of the dark times in which we live, we are to pray boldly and we're to live boldly. Now remember the backdrop. This was written, uh, put here in the Psalter for those in exile, that they might, by a messianic hope, pray boldly, live boldly, proclaim the name of Christ before their captors, before the great ones of the earth. Well, it's on the basis then of that messianic hope that the second thing that the Spirit teaches us here is that the church is to proclaim the gospel with confidence. It's amazing. As David thinks about Christ on the throne, look what he says. All the kings of the earth... We'll give thanks to you, O Lord. He worships in front of them, but he says they are going to be brought in to worship with him. He says they're going to hear the words of God's mouth. They will sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. David believed that when the Messiah promised, Messianic promise was fulfilled, the gospel would break out of the restraints of the narrow confines of Judah. It will break out to the very ends of the earth and the kings of the earth shall be gathered, representing their peoples, to come into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. David wrote many messianic promises on the basis of this as a type of Christ. He wrote, I shall, Surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son today. I have begotten you. Ask of me. And I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance. And the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Psalm 72, 11. Let all the kings bow down before him. All nations serve him. Do you not hear these words ringing in the Savior's mind? In the last commission. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples of a handful, make disciples of nations, because Christ is on the throne. And this is his inheritance, the nations of the earth. So as David claimed the promise, he then by the Spirit could prophesy of this great gospel prosperity that was going to come to the nations of the earth because Christ is exalted. Verse 6, it's difficult. Some place it here, some place it with verse 7. For though the Lord is exalted, yet He regards the lowly, but the haughty He knows from afar. I agree with the writer who says what we have here, this is the gospel that was preached to the kings of the earth and their people. It's first a reminder that our God is sovereign. They're not sovereign. They are nothing in comparison to God. He is the one who is exalted in heaven. And whatever He pleases, whatever He ordains, comes to pass. As the exalted God, He has a twofold message to the kings and all of their people. And that message is, repent and believe or perish. It is summarized here, the great exalted God regards the lowly. And here's a wonderful promise. Regardless of what you have done. Regardless of what any who has done. Who hears the promise of the gospel. If you will repent. And take hold of the Lord Jesus Christ. God has regard for you. Not because they were great. As long as they held to their greatness. There was no hope for them. Not because they were righteous. Because they humbled themselves. Before the Lord God. Revelation gives us a summary of the gospel. That parallels this angel flies in mid heaven and says, Fear God and give Him glory. That's the gospel. Psalm 96 says, Ascribe to the Lord glory and honor. Bow at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was what David is proclaiming. That is to be our message to all those around us. We're not trying to keep them from going to hell. Yes, we love our neighbor. And we would long to see him not go to hell. But what we want to see is a people gathered to glory to praise, to honor the Lord Jesus Christ, to come humbly to Him. And God lifts up the lowly. There's also a threat. The haughty He knows from afar. Even as later uh, James will write with respect to them, that God uh, is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He breaks the proud. That's what it means He knows them from afar. Not with any favor and with no grace but with judgment. That's the gospel. Pierre Marcel in his little book on preaching says the fifth part of relevant preaching is the sound of the warnings of the gospel. Every one of you tonight is in one of these two categories. You're either being humble and humble before the Lord God in repentance or seeking Him or are haughty and arrogant as you're trusting in your own righteousness, your own works, your facade of hypocrisy, your indifference. Whatever it might be, you refuse to submit to the Lord God. Do you not see what happens? Do you not hear the plaintive cry of those who say in the face of God's wrath, oh, that mountains would fall on us that we might escape the wrath of God? Have you never read of the realities of hell and trembled? as God gives them to us in such graphic form. Repent. Humble yourself tonight, regardless of who you are or what you have done. Repent. God always responds graciously. He has mercy on the one who humbles himself in repentance. Well, this brings us into the third thing, and that is that as the church worships, with messianic hope, we with messianic reality. As the church proclaims the gospel with confidence that God is going to save the nations, we see the church endures then on the basis of God's promises. Verses 7 and 8, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch forth your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Your loving kindness, the Lord, is everlasting. Do not forsake the works of your hands. And David himself was well aware of the troubles of life. His life was marked by many enemies within, enemies without. His own wretched, sinful nature was a trouble uh, to him. Uh, he, the Holy Spirit, takes the psalm and speaks then to those in exile into even greater trouble than that that David was experiencing. As they were captives and under tyrants and as the temple was in destruction and the walls were but dust. Yes, David's quite realistic. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, but look at his hope. You will revive me. You will make me alive. You will keep me alive. He's saying this of himself and he's saying it to the church in exile. He's saying it to us tonight. And God does that physically physically. You'll stretch forth your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. This is but for a season. The hand of God and His right hand are the mark of His power. This is Christ who's on the throne, who has appointed seasons and times. And at that appointed season and time, He will stretch forth His hand. He will destroy the persecutors of the church. He will break down all of the tyrants of North Korea and China and Iran and Afghanistan and Iraq and all the Muslim nations. He'll shatter them with a rod of iron like a broken piece of pottery. In his own good time. But he also will revive his church spiritually. Elder Harris prayed for revival. And how we should pray for revival. Because we're told here, because Christ is on the throne, that we can have this confidence that He is going to revive us. He's going to revive us individually. He's going to revive our congregations. Oh, how our churches and our congregations, and we need revival. And here's because Christ is on the throne. Because He loves His church. He loves His bride. And just as he tarries in judgment, he tarries with us. He's training us and he sifts us. And judgment begins in the household of God. But he loves his bride. And the unquenchable light of gospel grace will again and again break forward as it has throughout the history of scriptures and the history of the church since the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, we walk in trouble. We live in bad times, difficult times. Many brothers and sisters live in much worse times than we do, but he will revive us. He will stretch forth his hand against the wrath of our enemies and he will save us. And he will complete then that which he's promised. Verse eight, the Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Your loving kindness, Lord, is everlasting. Do not forsake the works of your hand. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. The psalmist says, I cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. Surely, Paul had this truth resonating in his mind when he wrote in Philippians, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Because Christ is on the throne, because God's covenant love is everlasting. The covenant love and faithfulness that put Christ on the throne. That is the mark of our God as He looks upon His church. He will not leave us. He will not leave you. Not one of you who is in Christ can ever lose that inheritance that belongs to you in Christ Jesus. But He will not leave His church. There will be times when oh, the light flickers like a candle in a breezy room. But He'll never desert His church. But he's going to fulfill those purposes of his church. He's going to gain his inheritance as he gathers the nations. And so David brings us to the concluding prayer. In light of all of this, do not forsake the work of your hands. And you know he won't. And so you can pray boldly. As boldly as David prayed with the promise of a a seed to come, we tonight may pray boldly. For Christ to enter into greater glory. A greater expanse of His kingdom. More honor. That His church will be revived and quickened. Our congregations, we, will be revived and quickened. So we do live in dark and desperate times. And there are dark clouds on the horizon worse than those outside this afternoon. But because Christ is exalted... Even in our trials, we worship God and we proclaim the gospel with confidence that he will gather the nations into his church. And so to every congregation here tonight, I direct your attention to the grand promise that is for you here. This is the promise of the king. This is the promise of faithfulness. This is the promise of everlasting love, covenant love for his church. Now act in light of it. Move forward in light of it, and pray in light of it. It's a great mystery. If David had not prayed, would he have received the promises? No, God's appointed means as well as the purposes. Are you praying? Are you pleading with God every day in private and family worship? Are you coming to the church's prayer meeting? And particularly praying for revival. Oh God, pity the churches that have shut down evening services and prayer meetings. We cannot expect revival if we don't boldly take hold of these promises and plead them with God, but do so expectantly. And then Mr. Groff, as tonight Christ sets you aside as another warrior in his army, a minister of the gospel, these are difficult times. And they could get worse. And you'll have many other difficulties in your ministry. But the Lord Christ speaks to you from heaven through these scriptures. He says He is exalted and in Him is everything that you need and what He's begun in your conversion, your sanctification, your preparation, and now your ordination. He's going to bring it to completion. And so we all then... Pray together with David. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cashville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit antiochpca.com.